Hello, and welcome to the Sex Within Marriage Podcast. My name is JD, and I blog over at uncoveringintimacy.com. And today we're answering questions that we received in August from our anonymous have a question page. For those who are new to our podcast or blog, uh, these are questions that people have submitted anonymously, so I can't ask any follow-up questions or for more context or anything like that. Uh, we do discuss these questions in our supporters forum as they come in, and once a month I gather, uh, gather up the previous month's questions and answer them all in a blog post and a podcast episode, which you are listening to. Uh, before we get into that, I wanted to let you know about a couple things that you may not have seen. Uh, the first is that uh, the last blog post I didn't do a podcast episode for because it was a survey results post, and I don't usually do blog posts about those because it's a lot of numbers and percentages and stuff like that, but there's also some interesting information, bits of information in there, and this one was on what the best way to initiate sex is. So... If you're curious about that, you should head over to uncoveringintimacy.com and check that out. The other thing I wanted to tell you about was, uh, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I've been busy revamping our Become More Sexually Engaged course for Christian Wives. And our pilot group has finished it off. We're making some adjustments. Uh, I'm actually going to make the course longer because they felt that... Um, two months wasn't enough to digest all the information. So I'm pushing it out to three months because uh, pretty much all the wives suggested that it would be helpful if it went a little slower and gave them more time. Actually, quite a few of them took the three months anyways to go through it. Uh, they just sort of went at their own pace instead of at the suggested pace. So we're changing it to make it better. Um, but we found some interesting things from our pilot group. Um, their goal was to be more... Uh, engaged in their sex life, uh, and they did it. Uh, 100% of them said uh, that it was worth the time and money to do it. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, it's not often that you release something and uh, the vote is unanimous that they enjoyed it. So, but they also said that uh, they found that their sex drive increased. They desired sex more often. Uh, they had sex more often, about 50% more than they were before. Uh, most of them started uh, initiating sex twice as often as they were, and they were more content with their sex life at the end. Now, that's pretty cool, because a lot of them really joined the course uh, in feeling like they were letting their husbands down, and they really didn't do it for uh, their own gain. I mean, they did it for themselves in the sense that uh, they felt it was something that they wanted to do for their marriage. Uh, but a lot of them didn't realize just how much of an impact it would have on themselves. And uh, the last thing was that they actually found that their sexual confidence in themselves doubled. Uh, they started the course on average uh, measuring in at about a 3.5 out of 10 when I asked them, what's your sexual confidence? And by the end, they're almost at 8. So that's that's uh, more than double, which is amazing. And as another side benefit is some of the wives actually found that their ability to orgasm actually increased as well, which is pretty cool. So I'm going to be coming out with some more information about that course soon. Uh, if you are interested and you just want to jump in and start taking it, you can check it out at uncoveringintimacy.com slash B-M-S-E, so Becoming More Sexually Engaged. I'll put a link in the show notes for it. Um, but I'm also planning to do a webinar just to kind of answer some questions that people might have about it. So stay tuned for that if you're interested.
And if you aren't already on our mailing list, you might want to get at it on it if you yeah, if you're curious about this, you want to know about what's coming up. And I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes as well. So, with that out of the way, let's get on to the question. So the first question uh it starts with my wife and I love your podcast. Thank you. Uh, I say thanks for informing slash educating us and that I have spontaneous drive and she has a responsive drive. My situation is that my wife has been engaging in negative self-talk when we have weeknight sex because, one, she can't warm up as fast as me. Two, she gets anxious slash frustrated and can't be in the moment because of the time constraints. And three, she's thinking about work in the morning. And four... She feels that she's broken because we sometimes need to use lube, which sometimes makes her itch. And she isn't as wet as she expects herself to be. I've read books and listened to your podcast for several months, and I've encouraged her that nothing is wrong with her, that it'll take some time for her body to catch up. Not hours either, but even as little as 5 to 15 minutes. And thirdly, there's absolutely nothing wrong with using lube. Do you have any suggestions on what I, as her husband, can do? How common is our slash her concerns and thoughts? I encourage, I love, I don't rush. I even made the call for us not to engage in sex since she was clearly frustrated and anxious. All right, so I'd say what you can do is have her listen to this podcast episode or read the show notes on it. And let me be explicitly clear, there is nothing wrong with using lube. Uh, Sometimes just people just need to hear from someone other than your spouse. Now, that said, uh, the part about the lube making her itch is mildly concerning. That shouldn't happen. So maybe try a different lube. I was listening to something a few weeks ago, and I'm afraid I can't remember what it was for the life of me. Um, But they were mentioning that they had the same issue with lube. They had to try a dozen or so different ones before they could find one that didn't cause a reaction. And it's different for different people. For some, the more synthetic lubricants are more likely to cause irritation. For others, natural ones are. It depends on how your body reacts to it. Uh, Synthetic lubricants you can find in the store or on Amazon. Uh, Natural ones people tend to just use things like coconut oil or sweet almond oil and things like that. Uh, We tend to use sweet almond oil myself or ourselves because it's what my friend Dennis over at Melt suggests for massages. And frankly, it's a lot easier to transition from a massage to sex if you use the same oil and lubricant. Plus, it smells good and it doesn't have a strong taste and it glides very nicely for all the things. Now, if you're using condoms, I can't guarantee what effect coconut oil or almond oil will have on them. I get conflicting reports on whether or not they break them down, so beware of that. And, yeah. So, secondly, yes, it's perfectly normal to take time for your body to catch up if you're not being kind of pre-warmed up. Five to 15 minutes is actually considered pretty quick. However, because of what we see in media, women tend to think that you should just be ready to go at the drop of a hat. Uh, That's generally not the case. Uh, As you said, you too have learned about responsive desire, and if you have responsive desire, then, well, it takes time to respond. It's not usually as simple uh, as flipping a switch, but rather more like getting a big wheel turning. Uh, It takes a bit to build up momentum. So, yes, that's perfectly normal. There's nothing wrong with you, except maybe that you need to find some lube that doesn't cause irritation. Other than that, 
Well, you can try is giving yourself a bit more time for weeknight sex, if possible. Maybe try giving her a massage to get her body started and relaxed. If you don't know how, uh, I check out my friend at Melt. Uh, I highly recommend his course uh, for couples massages. Uh, Another thing you can try is talking dirty. Many of my readers say that that is a game changer and helps them switch over into kind of sexy mode uh, quicker. Because uh, if you can arouse your wife's mind, there's a pretty good chance her body will follow. And if you don't know where to start with that, I have a resource to get you started there as well. You can check it out in the show notes. Question two is simply, can you have sex and perform midnight prayer? And I had to look this one up. I had never heard of midnight prayer before. It turns out that some people teach that prayers at midnight are more powerful than at other times. Personally, I think that's nonsense. Uh, We as Christians believe that God exists outside of space-time, as he created both. So how can prayers be more affected at one time over another? Uh, Even with Sabbath, which is the only marked-off time that we're supposed to keep holy throughout eternity, God was clear that uh, that day is for us, not for him. Uh, We're to keep it by resting on it as a memorial to him as creator. But it's not that our prayers or ceremonies or church services on Saturday have any more meaning or weight to them, but that we keep Sabbath as he commanded, simply because he told us to. And Christianity is a religion based on a relationship with God, not on rituals and spells that get more or less powerful depending on the positioning of celestial bodies. I think the idea that they do is just uh, paganism creeping into Christianity, as it often does. So, can you have sex and perform midnight prayers? Sure, why not? Go for it. I got this question once, actually, about fasting during Lent as well, which was largely the same answer, but I'll link to that in the show notes for anyone who's interested. All right, next question is, is it okay to say prayers asking God that for whoever God may pick as my future wife, that she will enjoy anal sex, or at least not be opposed to it. I have a very strong fetish for it, and marrying someone only to find out after the fact that it's a no-go would be crushing. I'm talking purely straight, heterosexual, man and woman in marriage, anal sex. I get that it would obviously need to be in balance with life, giving PIV sex, but it would be a nice treat now and then. I had a history with porn a lifetime ago, half my lifetime being with me being in my 20s, which may have influenced this, but no one, but one can argue that porn didn't create the desire slash fetish, but the desire slash fetish informed my porn tastes. Note that I am free from porn since this half a lifetime ago, over a decade, as it's not a present issue, praise God. I don't know what else to say, perhaps just give me some thoughts on the first part and the second part. Okay, so... Here's the problem. You say you've been free from porn for over a decade, a decade, yet it's clearly still having a massive impact on you. So much so that you want to prioritize a specific sexual act and ask God to make sure he meets that desire. And, and let me be clear, I don't think there's anything wrong with anal sex. You know, uh, If you have an argument with that, uh, I will link to a post about it that you can argue your heart's content about. Um, 
But when you're asking God to find you a wife based on a single act, I think you're missing out on the point. You know, sex should be about relationship, not about specific activities. And it's quite possible that God will grant you what you want, a wife who loves anal sex. But you may miss out on a wife who is generous and kind and a good mother and a follower of God because you decided that anal sex was a deal breaker. You know, instead, why not ask that God will change you to love whoever he brings you? Then let God decide what's important for the marriage. That way you can be happy with whatever he sends your way. And maybe you will get someone who is interested in meeting your desires. Personally, I think that's a better way to go. And question four has to deal with uh, jealousy. They ask, how do I deal with the retroactive jealousy and broken trust? After several years of marriage, I learned that my wife had three previous sexual partners before we married. Not only did she... Let me believe a lie that I was her first for many years. She lied and misled me several times over three months because she ultimately came clean, as far as I know. She had unprotected sex and also became pregnant by one of them. She had a miscarriage. As the young people say, I was shook. My insecurities have exploded and my trust has been shaken. Help. Alright, so if you can't forgive and move on, then I'd say get a therapist that specializes in these things. That's frankly what they're there for, to help people who have been broken by something who can't move forward, who are stuck because something is holding them back and they just can't move past it. My specialty as a marriage coach is helping people who are ready, willing, and able to move forward by helping them build a plan, hold them accountable to that plan, and helping them gain the skills and knowledge they need to meet their goals by sharing my experience, uh, perspective, and resources. So I'd find a Christian therapist or a counselor. I often recommend Dr. Jessica McLeese, who I'll link to in the show notes, and I haven't heard any complaints about her yet. Uh, The only time I ever hear anything less than positive was one couple who uh, weren't actually in need of a therapist. What they actually needed was a coach. So those situations are a bit like trying to go to a doctor to lose weight. You know, yes, they'll tell you that you need to exercise more, eat less, burn more calories than you take in. But it's not really their specialty to help you build a meal plan, an exercise regime, and hold you accountable to it. Uh, They'd refer you to a coach. Uh, or they'd offer to staple your stomach because that's how they know how to, that's what they know how to do. So, now, sometimes I do get people who have spent months or even years in counseling or therapy with little to no results, but then they start coaching and they're off to the races making progress in weeks. Uh, the point is, it's important to use the right tool for the right job, and in this case, I think the right tool is probably a therapist. Uh, question five sort of follows a similar vein. He says, I've been married for 20 years. My wife never swallowed before she met me, but now she does it regularly. She had an affair with a coworker, basically a stranger. They never got together outside of work, and she gave him oral in the bathroom a few times and swallowed. She didn't, she didn't understand why I thought that was something reserved for us, not just something you do to anyone, especially a stranger. What are your thoughts? It seems like she had done everything with him that I thought was special for us. Now I no longer am her last first kiss, and I'm not the only one she swallows with. Why would she believe that had no meaning when I always told her it was like I was making love to her and she was making love to my penis? It's much more intimate than just sex. Do women do that to anyone? Okay, so 
you've had a massive break in trust, and it sounds like you're fixating on the activities, one in particular, rather than on the broken trust. Personally, I'd be less worried about how do I know it's special when she does it to me, uh, and more, how do I know our relationship is special if she'd break it like this? And my next thoughts are, you know, why did she do it? Uh, people don't usually just have affairs out of the blue for no reason. There's usually some cause. Something is likely broken in the relationship already. So I wonder if you've had a conversation about that. You know, what's missing? What needs aren't being met? And what is it that made it easy for her to betray that trust? Uh but broken trust is another one of those areas that, frankly, I'm not an expert in. Um, like the question before this one, uh, I think you probably need a therapist. However, I do know of a therapist who does specifically deal with broken trust and affair recoveries. And uh, his name is Dr. Jeffrey Francis. And he was actually recommended to me by another therapist that I mentioned before, Dr. Jessica McLeese. Um, his website is fcchr.org. I'll link to it in the show notes. And I'd probably contact them and see how they can help. Question six is simple. Did Jesus Christ ever get married? No. Nothing in the Bible or any trusted extra-biblical accounts tell us that Jesus was married or even had a romantic relationship. Uh, the book-slash-movie The Da Vinci Code and those uh, kind of popularized the idea that he was, but that book is a historical fiction at best and really not to be trusted as a real account of anything. So, on to the next question. They write, Hi, we are a Christian couple. Uh, my husband and I have had sex in the same room as another couple we are good friends with. I never thought in my wildest dreams something like that would happen, but we were sharing a hotel room one weekend, and it just happened in the dark. I couldn't see anything, only hear, but if I'm being honest, the sounds of his wife coming for sure made it more exciting. In the morning, we all downplayed everything. Is this wrong? So this sparked a very interesting conversation in our supporters forum. Uh, because it's not a simple question. Uh, on the one hand, we have the idea that sex should only be between a husband and wife and no one else. On the other hand, for most of his human history, people were having sex where others could hear simply due to the logistics of not having a lot of other options. Uh, most of Christianity agrees that having sex with an audience would be considered wrong, but where is that actual delineation? And I think it's going to be different for every person. I don't know if I can say this far or no farther, and uh, in our supporters forum, the opinions expressed were radically different from person to person. Uh, one person had no issues with nudity in the presence of others and felt that sex was similar to that. But like nudity, it shouldn't be done in order to try and arouse others or yourself. More like, uh, if it happens, it happens, and it's no big deal. And that's likely close to where much of humanity was for most of history when we had one-room houses or tents and cabins and what have you. Uh, you probably couldn't avoid hearing others have sex or maybe even seeing it. For another in the group, uh, it was simply, simply the idea of sharing a hotel room with another couple was inconceivable. That was way too far already. Um, but everyone seemed to agree on these sort of common guidelines. Uh, one was... You shouldn't be seeking out the scenario of having sex near or by another couple. Uh, 
Number two is you shouldn't be trying to make others hear or see you have sex because it turns you on. And number three, you shouldn't be trying to hear or see others having sex because it turns you on. In short, you shouldn't involve other people in your sex life. So then what do you do in a situation where you just happen to hear others having sex? Uh, because even if you never share a room, it can happen. You might visit someone else's house overnight and hear them or have visitors and hear them. Or uh, you might be in a hotel room that has thin walls or that sound transfers easily or neighbors that are especially loud with their windows open. Um, I actually heard once of a house. There are two houses built right next to each other, uh, like a walkway in between them. Uh, but the houses were actually mirror images of each other. And just happened to be that where the windows were, they created sympathetic vibrations. So you could hear very clearly in the one room what was happening in the other room. Like, if they were having a conversation, you could hear it like they were in the room. Uh, very interesting physics thing. But uh, if those were bedrooms, I can imagine that could be problematic. But either way, it this may never happen to you, or it might happen often that you end up hearing other people. So what do you do then? You know, is it okay to get aroused by the sounds? Is it okay to act on that arousal? Is it wrong to have sex with your spouse because you heard somebody else having sex? And there are plenty of movie scenes where this scenario happens. Sometimes the characters turn up music so that they can't hear it. Sometimes they try to have really loud sex, sort of a to outdo the first couple. Sometimes they jump on the bed and hit the walls and ceiling while yelling in order to make the first couple think that they're also having crazy sex instead of just having sex themselves. Uh, And sometimes they just sit there uncomfortably thinking, you know, why aren't we having really good sex like that? Uh, So what do you do? I I think the same basic principles apply. You You don't include others in your sex life. So how do we apply that? And for me, it would look something like this. Uh, if I'm hearing someone else, if hearing someone else put me in the mood for sex, I, I think it's perfectly okay to accept the fact that I'm in the mood for sex. Uh, it doesn't really matter what that reason is. I mean, I can be in the mood for any reason or seemingly no reason at all. So the cause doesn't really matter to me. So I'd probably see if I can get my wife in the mood and uh, that would be me trying to get her in the mood, not me trying to get her to listen to other people having sex in order to get her in the mood, if that makes sense. Uh, secondly, I'm not going to have sex in order to try and outdo the other couple or to prove something to them or myself. To me, that would be including them, even if they don't know it. And thirdly, I'm not going to have sex simply because the other couple is, and if I don't, then I'm somehow less of a man, or we're not as good of a couple, or not as in love or passionate, or anything like that. Again, I think that would be including them, even if they don't know it. It's sort of like, if I see a couple having fun going for a walk, and I think, oh, that looks like fun, now I want to go for a walk. I might try to convince my wife that a walk would be fun, but I'm not going to try to convince her that we should go for a walk because the Joneses are, or that if we don't, then we're not as good as couple as they are. Uh, but I'm also not going to not go for a walk simply because the Joneses are out for a walk. Uh, to me, that would be like not having sex simply because someone else was and hearing me got it, hearing it got me in the mood. So, back to the original question: Did you do something wrong? Uh, did the other couple do something wrong? It, it's a really complex kind of situation, and. At almost every turn, I can think of a better way to do this. For example, having sex when you know the other couple is awake and can hear you could be considered really inappropriate. 
we don't know what their proclivities are. They might have done it because they like being exhibitionists, in which case they're basically using you as a sex toy, and that wouldn't be cool. But would a discussion beforehand have made it better? Then it's premeditated, and you could probably find another way for one couple to leave for a bit and sort of trade off the room so that you could each have some time for sex. Uh, but maybe that's more making it more awkward than it needs to be. Uh, part of me says that neither if neither couple has an issue with it, then what's the problem, given the criteria above? But the other part of me knows that uh, often we love to rationalize things, and sex frankly makes us stupid. So if we say, well, I don't see an issue here, what's the chance that the next vacation someone is going to suggest a single room again because it turned them on? Uh, I'd say that's fairly likely. And then you have then you are intentionally including the other couple in your sex life. So what do we do with this? It's, frankly, a bit of a maze of a situation full of moral pitfalls. So what would I do? Probably recognize that it didn't happen intentionally, but that it probably wasn't ideal. That I probably wouldn't think I'd done anything wrong, but if I vacationed with that couple again, I'd probably insist on separate rooms, simply because I'd be uncomfortable with putting myself in such a morally ambiguous position particularly with what a second occurrence might mean. And that's my thoughts on it. And I understand everyone's going to be kind of all over the place. And so you kind of have to decide for yourself. But that's kind of how my brain works. All right, next question. This husband writes, I hate that I even have to write this and that I am kicking myself for even thinking of leaving my marriage over this, but I have to ask. My wife and I have been married for nearly five years, and our sex life is pretty good. I, of course, would like to have it more and to use more positions. In the last few years, my wife has developed a condition called lichen sclerosis. That's a hard word to say. Which basically is a nasty rash on her privates. It makes having sex painful even with excessive lube. We have discussed quite a bit about what we can do if we can't have sex, and we agree that the only option is oral or manual stimulation. The problem is that she agrees to do it and then never does. I ask her for it, but she makes excuses one after another. Before her getting this condition, she would occasionally provide oral, but never to completion, no swallowing or allowing me to ejaculate in her mouth or near her face. She has tasted me and says the taste is actually pretty good, but hates the consistency. Okay, no biggie, I always finish with PIV, but we don't have that option, and now I don't get touched. Knowing the physiological aspect of this, I suspect she feels bad about her body not being up for sex. I completely understand, and when I ask her why she can't even just touch me sexually, I get a big pushback that leads to an argument. I don't want to be selfish over something she can't be blamed for, but I'm not sure I can handle the lack of sex or intimacy much longer. I also know this isn't a biblical reason for divorce either, and I'm feeling pretty down about myself for even thinking about it. What should I do? I want sex so badly, and I don't believe solo masturbation is an okay thing to do. Please help. Thanks. Okay, so it sounds like you need to be able to have a serious discussion about what the future of your sex life looks together, and maybe let her know that you're really struggling with seeing how you can have a future if things continue the same the way they are. And that's not an ultimatum, but a very real, this is where I'm at discussion. And if you can't have that discussion without an argument, then you might need to involve someone else to help you mediate. Um, Now, I've helped mediate other discussions with couples when they're both motivated to move forward and are willing to listen and grow. But if she's not willing to have the discussion, 
Um, you might need a trained counselor or a therapist to help you. And if that's the direction you want to go, I'd consider saying something like, dear, I love you, and I'm really struggling with the physical part of our relationship. Uh, I think we need some help. I would like us to go see a Christian sex therapist to help us with this issue. I would love for us to go together, but if you won't come with me, I'm going to go myself to figure out how to work through this on my end. And then if she's on board, great. Uh, if she's not, then you go yourself and get the support that you need. Um, again, uh, Dr. Jessica McLeese is a certified Christian sex therapist that you might want to check out if you don't know where to start. All right. Question nine is another short one. It's simply, should anything go in the bedroom? And in our supporters forum, we weren't sure if that meant activities or something like a TV or what. The short answer is, so long as it doesn't violate biblical principles, then yeah, anything goes. Uh, I know I've answered questions like this before, but I couldn't find it quickly, so here's a quick rundown on the general rules as I see them. Uh, one is don't involve other people. That would include porn, erotica, intentionally listening to other people have sex, things like that. Uh, number two, make sex about the relationship, not about the activities themselves. Uh, we kind of handled that one above with the question about wanting a wife who wants anal sex. Uh, number three is uh, humiliation, degradation, and harm seems inconsistent with Christian living. Um, I should, just one caveat here though, pain doesn't necessarily equal harm, um, but that's a tricky subject that requires a whole lot more unpacking to discuss. Um, but that's, yeah, those are the basic rules uh, as I see them. Uh, if I miss something, let me know. All right, question 10 starts with, hello, Jay. My husband and I have been married for three years, and sex has always been a little bit of a struggle. One thing that tends to be a reoccurring problem is his attempt to stimulate my vagina with his fingers. I have trouble getting wet enough for penetration without manual stimulation. Almost every time he tries, he ends up hurting me or not stimulating the right parts. I've had conversations about this with him, even showing him where to place his fingers, but this is met with either frustration, resulting in an abrupt shutdown, or him bringing out our vibrator because he can't be bothered with trying anymore. How do I bring this up without him completely shutting down on me? Is there a possibility he just keeps forgetting where everything is, and it will improve with time? Uh, the vibrator is an excellent tool, but I'd rather prefer my husband's touch on most occasions. Thank you for your help. Okay, so first off, I'd highly recommend getting some lube. You mentioned not getting wet enough for penetration without manual stimulation, but if you aren't wet enough for penetration, you might also not be wet enough for manual stimulation either. Um, that might solve some of the issue. Personally, we've been using sweet almond oil lately, that's, as I mentioned before, and it's fantastic for both full body massages and sex, um, but again, don't know how well it mixes with condoms, so be aware of that. So, with the manual sex, there are a lot of things that kind of get in the way. Uh, number one is that feedback isn't instantaneous. You don't know what your spouse is feeling immediately, so adjustments are slow. When it's yourself, you know exactly what feels good and when, and how you can make adjustments immediately. Uh, number two is feedback isn't perfectly communicated. So, even if you're communicating extremely well, which most people don't, it's still not perfect. 
he doesn't know exactly how it feels, and he's going on instructions that can be a little difficult to follow sometimes, especially in the heat of the moment. Uh, number three is female anatomy is far more complex than male anatomy. With men, there's generally three things you need to worry about. Movement only along one axis, up and down, uh, speed, and pressure. And yes, you can do a whole bunch of more other things, uh, but like that works for most men. Uh, for women, the landscape is a lot more complicated, which is awesome, but it's also more difficult to navigate. Uh, so when you're used to something relatively simple like a penis, which he grew up with, a vulva can be a little difficult to master. It's a bit like going from an automatic transition car to a Boeing 747 without autopilot. Uh, number four is uh, women's reactions tend to vary. Uh, for men, what worked on one day is likely to work on the next day on and on every subsequent day. Uh, tends to. Not always. This is a generality. Um, but for women, again, in general, that's generally not the case. Many women are even frustrated themselves by the fact that their body won't respond to the same from day to day. Um, and their husbands can be equally frustrated by that as well. On top of that, he has had three years of feeling like he can't do that. So the entire effort likely has a lot of pressure attached to it, uh, along with the belief that he can't do it right. So he's probably showing up already frustrated, embarrassed, and afraid, feeling like he's going to mess it up again, but desperately wanting it to work. So he might be building a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts, which invariably gets triggered at the first setback, and then he gives up because it's all just happening again. Add to this that many men simply don't know how to accept correction because it feels like failure, and they don't know how to deal with emotions because we're taught that emotions make us weak. And so, yeah, frankly, there might not be anything you can do to stop his reaction at that time. He might just need to mature a bit. He might need to learn to express his feelings better, and he might need to learn that it's okay not to know everything and not be good at everything right away. That said, here's what I'd try. Number one, lube. If you haven't already, try it. Uh, number two, try getting yourself aroused first. So what if you reverse the sequence? You know, Try with the vibrator for a bit until you're very aroused, and then ask him to use his fingers. The arousal will make everything feel better, plus it gets everything more engorged and wet, so you're kind of puts your vulva on easy mode for him, as well you're mentally more aroused and more willing to put up with any fumbling that he might do. Uh, number three, increase your communication, especially about what feels good. Uh, respond faster and more vocally so that there's no misunderstanding. And number four, you can also try, just instead of just showing him, actually put his hand over yours while you masturbate. This might give him a better idea of what sort of speed, movements, pressure, etc. And then reverse it. Put your hand over his. Use his finger to masturbate with. And that might help him out. Lastly, uh, some basic communication tips. Um, focus on the positives. If you want something to change, uh, don't say but. Instead, use and or I wonder, for example. That felt really good, and I think next time, if you could use a little more pressure, that would be even better. Or, that was amazing. I wonder if next time, if you waited a bit longer before touching my clit directly, if it would feel even more amazing. So, there are some ideas. Uh, I hope they help. All right, last question. Question 11. 
My husband was recently injured and had surgeries to correct it. He's home now, but his recovery is predicted to last another few months, and we were told not to have any sex since his injury is so close to where it counts. At the same time, I've been in and out of the hospital and doctor's appointments because my reproductive system is on the fritz. All this to ask, I know how important sex can be to a marriage. Is there anything that we can consider to help our situation. I understand you're not a doctor and that your opinion doesn't hold weight against the advice of doctors, but we haven't been able to be intimate in over a month and it's looking like it'll be months more. So if someone medically can't have sex, how do you advise keeping the romance slash intimacy alive? So my first question would be, what does no sex mean to the doctor? Does it mean no intercourse, no orgasms, no arousal? Because depending on what the actual limit is, that changes the options. For example, if it's no intercourse, then oral sex or manual sex might still be available as options. If it's no orgasming, then he could still do oral sex or manual sex uh, to you or watch you masturbate, which to some men would be better than not having any sexual relationship at all. To others, it would just frustrate them incredibly, so... You should have a conversation about that. If it's no arousal whatsoever, well, then you're simply waiting for this to be over, and there's not a whole lot you can do with sex. Um, in that case, there are still things that you can do to keep romance and intimacy alive. Sex is only one subtype of intimacy. There are others. For example, uh, emotional intimacy. Um, now might be a good time to learn how to share your emotions better. For example, sharing that you're frustrated by not being able to have sex. Um, that shares with your spouse that you miss them and that you desire them. Sharing that you're scared that this hiatus might damage your relationship is actually a good way to help ward off that damage. Um, spiritual intimacy is... You know, this is a great time to start reading your Bible and praying together if you aren't already, uh, sharing what you find, having discussions about your faith, your beliefs, your j- journey with God. You know, ask for forgiveness for things you've done wrong. Ask each other to hold you accountable for what you think is right. Um, these are all ways that you can build spiritual intimacy. Uh, intellectual in- intimacy is another one. You know, read a book together, take a course together, learn, grow, and then share that together. Uh, experiential intimacy is simply doing life together. Uh, be it going for a hike or watching TV, cooking together, just do life together. Sometimes people downplay, downplay the kind of roommates part of marriage, but to be honest, that's the majority of marriage, and that's where a lot of intimacy, uh, there's a lot of intimacy to be had in those times. Um, and then lastly, physical intimacy. Just because you can't have sex doesn't mean you can't have physical intimacy. Uh, likely you were intimate before you ever had sex. You held hands, you kissed, you touched, you cuddled, and just because you've had sex doesn't mean you can't still enjoy those things or enjoy them again. Um, plus, you can give each other full-body massages and take showers together, and um, yeah, there's lots of things that you can do. Um, they don't always have to lead to sex. So, the point is, sex isn't the only type of intimacy. And Don't get me wrong, I think it's important And if there's a way for you to manage some sort of sexual intimacy, I'd take it. But even without the sex, you can still be intimate. Practice those ways, and then when the sex is back on the table, don't forget them. Uh, Keep them up as well as sex. And then you might actually find that this season makes your marriage more intimate and makes your sex life even better when it comes back as well. So... That's all the questions for today. If you have a question of your own, you can email me at j at uncoveringintimacy.com or if you prefer to remain anonymous, you can submit a question to our Have a Question page. Uh, links are in the show notes. And uh, 
yeah, you can wait for a response in next month's roundup. Or what some people have done is ask a question and then join the support forum to see the discussion. Uh, I know a couple of people have done that. Uh, and they stuck around because they liked it. Uh, lastly, uh, just a special thanks to all our supporters who help with answering these questions, giving their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts, and for supporting this ministry, which helps keep us going. Uh, you're all awesome. I enjoy interacting with all of you in the forum. and uh, Yeah. It's just a cool community. I'm pretty happy about it. That's it for now. Um, it's almost October already, so I guess I gotta start on September's questions and uh, hopefully get them out sooner. So uh, stay tuned about more information about our course if you're interested. We'll probably do a webinar about that in the coming weeks, and uh, be sure that you uh, subscribe to our mailing list if you don't want to miss anything. Lastly, uh, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, all the links are in the show notes as well. That's it for now. See ya.